Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. It is officially conference championship week in college basketball. Tickets to the big dance are being punched all across the nation. And on Monday night, DraftKings has given us a nice little four-game slate of two conferences that they've got their semifinal games going on, and they don't always get so much love on DraftKings. So we've got ourselves a nice little four-game slate of college basketball DFS on Monday night that's going to get us warmed up for the rest of the week for conference championship week. Today on the podcast, we are going to break down this four-game Monday night slate. We're going to talk about the types of game flows that you might expect, as well as highlight some players in the guard and the four positions at every price range. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review and hit that subscribe button so that way you'll be let know when new episodes drop. Speaking of new episodes, we will be back talking golf Monday night um, for the Players Championship, which is a big time tournament. And then we will have college basketball content coming your way for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday here on the podcast. So make sure you're subscribed and you'll be letting know when all those episodes drop. I won't be doing the Saturday or the Sunday episodes this week, guys. Um, I will be out of town this weekend. So all my thoughts for the college basketball DFS slates will be going up on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. Make sure you give me a follow if you want to see those. And I'm more than happy to answer any lineup or start sick questions. All right. In the words of John Rothstein, this is March. Conference Championship Week. Gotta love it. Let's go ahead and get into it. But first, a quick word from our friends at Anchor. All right, so DraftKings is giving us a nice little four-game slate. we got two conference tournament semifinal matchups that are going to be going on. We've got the Horizon League as well as the West Coast Conference. So let's go ahead and talk about these individual games themselves. In the Horizon League, the first game is Northern Kentucky versus Youngstown State. The total in that one in Vegas is 138.5. However, Ken Palm has this one as Youngstown 72-68. to Northern Kentucky is 357th in the nation in tempo, uh, so it's a big tempo up spot for Northern Kentucky. Kentucky tempo down spot for Youngstown State. Uh, the previous matchups this season were actually a split. Youngstown State won the first one 74 to 56. Northern Kentucky won the second one 77 to 73. In the other semifinal in the Horizon League, we've got Cleveland State versus Milwaukee. This one has the second highest total of the night at 148.5. Ken Palm has this one as Cleveland State 75 to 73. Checks out with the point total. Milwaukee is 17th in the nation in tempo. So this is a big time tempo up spot for Cleveland State. And Milwaukee actually swept the season series 81 to 72 and 68 to 70 or 68 to 64. So definitely a good spot for Milwaukee. I still expect them to score a lot of points, but I do love the extra boost and extra possessions that the Cleveland State guys are going to be getting. Now in the West Coast Conference, the one of the semifinals is BYU versus St. Mary's. This one has the lowest total of the night in Vegas at 131.5. Ken Palm has this one as St. Mary's 69-61. St. Mary's, this is like what they do, right? They play games in the 50s and the 60s. They're 359th in the nation in adjusted tempo, according to Ken Palm. Uh, and St. Mary's actually swept the season series against BYU, uh, 71 to 65 and 57 to 56. And what is also worth noting is that the way the West Coast Conference tournament works is kind of like a ladder in a way like the bottom teams play each other and the winners play the next two and then the winners play the it's really weird right and so BYU has already played two games in this conference tournament this is St. Mary's first game of the conference tournament pretty much that bracket was safe or created as a safeguard so that way Gonzaga and St. Mary's could get an easy of a path to the final as possible so that way you know they get their best teams in the tournament. Anyway, I don't mind it. I don't mind the format, but it is worth noting that BYU guys might be seeing a little bit of fatigue, even though they did have a day off on Sunday. 
Now, the highest total of the night belongs to the San Francisco versus Gonzaga matchup. The total in this one is 160.5. Ken Palm has it as Gonzaga 87 to 76, which is actually a little higher than the Vegas total. Both teams in this matchup are in the top 120 in tempo, according to Ken Palm. This is the only matchup that features two teams there in the top 120. Gonzaga actually swept the season series 99 to 81 and 77 to 75. Both of those were high scoring affairs. Um, the 99 to 81 one was a blowout at halftime and kind of just stayed around the 18 to 20 mark for the most of the second half. Uh, the 77 75 one was very close all the way till the very end. So you got a little bit of variety in the two matchups there between Gonzaga and San Francisco. Also worth noting, this is Gonzaga's first game of the tournament. San Francisco will be playing their third game, one of which was actually a double overtime thriller against Santa Clara. So that does it for the four game environments. Let's go ahead and start breaking down the guard position. And that carries us right into San Francisco guard Khalil Shabazz. He is at the top of the board on this four game slate. He actually had 64.8 fancy points in his last game uh, in that double overtime game against Santa Clara. He's actually averaging 21 points and seven rebounds against Gonzaga this season, which is pretty solid, right? And he had a 30% usage rate the last time they played Gonzaga. He is San Francisco's leader in usage. He is their best player. Um, if this game gets into a shootout, it's going to be because he is scoring a lot of points. I would have no problem going with Khalil Shabazz here on this slate. Second on the board at, at a quite significant discount is Logan Johnson of St. Mary's, who is coming off a of three straight 40 fantasy point performances, which is worth noting because one of those three was against BYU. He's actually averaging 34.8 fantasy points against BYU this season, and he is averaging 24% usage against all opponents on the season and at least 28% usage in his last three. So in other words, those last three games... Maybe it's a sign of things to come, or maybe it's just riding the hot hand, but he has been seeing more usage lately than he has over the course of the season. So because of that, I would have no problem catching him while he's on his upward trend. Granted, there would be some people that would argue that means he's in line for regression, but hey, I'm always willing to ride the hot hand. Now, looking further down the board is Marcus Work, who has not been over 30 fantasy points in his last three games. And in fact, he only had 13 fantasy points against Youngstown State the last time these two teams played. However... He would be the guy that if you are somebody who believes in regression to the mean, if you believe in usage rates mattering, um, he is a guy that I would say would you know be the example of that here on this slate. He's got a 28% usage rate on the season, and his last two games were only 16% and 22%. So uh, it would be easy to kind of make the argument that you know, just two bad nights and would be willing to trust the higher usage rate, be willing to trust the season-long production over the last two games. Now, his teammate Sam Vincent is kind of the anti-Marcus work. He's been much better in recent form, and he played much better against Youngstown State with 32.3 fantasy points. So he would be kind of the argument for, you know, keep ride the hot hand, you know, get, play the guys while they're hot, um, whereas Marcus work would be trust the season-long regression to the mean production. Julian Strother of Gonzaga is a guy that I'm not really intrigued by on this slate, if I'm being totally honest. He is really dependent on rebounds um, to produce big fantasy outputs, and his shot rate and usage rate are both inconsistent, and he only had 14.5 uh, fantasy points against San Francisco the last time these two teams played, so he is just a pass for me here on this slate. I think there are better values elsewhere on the board. And one of those better values is Youngstown State's Dwayne Cohill, who is definitely going to be a guy who is going to be in my lineups on Monday night. 
the value that he is producing for his salary has just been incredible. He's been over four times value at this salary in seven straight games and 12 out of his last 13 games. That's an incredible run. He's also had at least nine shots in all 13 of those games, and he sports a 26% usage rate on the season. Now, if you've never heard of Dwayne Cohill before, or maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, that name sounds a little familiar. He was actually on the 2020 Dayton Flyers team with Obi Toppin and Jalen Crutcher that was ranked three in the nation before COVID canceled the season. He was their first guy off the bench, and he was one of their biggest like young recruits on that team who was kind of the next man up. Uh, and, you know, between injuries and other guys, like, kind of just taking his shine, it never really panned out at Dayton. And so he ended up transferring to Youngstown State. You could see when he was at Dayton that he had a lot of talent and he just has this alpha personality, right? Like he is a guy who can go get his own bucket um, and he will let you know about it when he gets his own bucket. And so um, he definitely has the production to back all that up. He has the usage rate to back all that up. And I just think that at the seven, at the price that he's at at 7,100, that's just an incredible price to, have to get a guy who has this much production. And like I said, with the backstory, you know he's got talent and you know he wants to take Youngstown State to the tournament. Now, heading down to the 6K range, BYU's Rudy Williams is a guy that I would expect to be the under-owned play from this range because I think a lot of people will look on paper and see his last performance against St. Mary's and see that he only played 17 minutes in that game and really wasn't that effective. But the good news is he had a 36% usage rate in that game, which is insane right? And he's actually averaged 26 minutes over his last three games. So if you were to kind of extrapolate that usage rate, 36%, I'm not saying it's going to be that high again, but if you were to extrapolate that usage rate over the amount of minutes that he's been getting, averaging over 26, that's going to give him a very high ceiling and the chance to produce for a lot of points. Now, like I said, it does worry me with the game environment with BYU going up against the slow, tough defensive-minded team that is St. Mary's, but that's why I think that he'll make sense as an under-owned GPP type of play. Now, his teammate, Spencer Johnson, is a far lower usage player, but he does play more minutes, and he has been more productive against St. Mary's. I would expect Spencer Johnson to be kind of the safer, more owned play as opposed to the two of them, well, out of the two of them with Rudy Williams and Spencer Johnson. So to summarize, Rudy Williams, more of a lower owned GPP type of play because of how everything doesn't quite look perfect on paper. Spencer Johnson's been more consistent and been better, so he'll probably be the one that's higher owned. Now, at the very bottom of the 6K range sits Milwaukee's B.J. Freeman. And I got to be quite honest, y'all, he's a mispriced. Like, he should be up around 8K. He has three straight games of 40 fantasy points or more. He literally averages five times value for that current salary at 6K. And he gets dual eligibility, so you can play him at the guard or the forward position. Now, if you're sitting there thinking, wait a minute, what if this is a fluke? What if this is just unlucky? It's really not. He has a 30% usage rate. You're not going to get that out of guys who are in the 6K range and play the minute load that he does. So uh, I'm absolutely willing to go all in on BJ Freeman. Just know that he's going to come with a lot of ownership. Like It wouldn't shock me to see over 50% ownership on this slate. Now heading to the 5K range, Tay Williams of Cleveland State is another guy that I would expect to be chalk. Now, Tay Williams was a big subject on um, college basketball DFS Twitter a few Fridays ago because... Cleveland State was on the DraftKings Friday slate a few Fridays ago. Um, I believe they were playing Wright State in that game. And DraftKings was just missing games from his game log. And like they were nowhere to be found, even though he had been playing, right? And he was priced at $3,600 as if he had not been playing when in actuality that was just a total misprice. 
And so there were people that, you know, saw the salary, saw the production and clicked him in. There were people that looked at the game log, said, oh, crap, maybe this guy's hurt and left him out. But it was just a weird situation that DraftKings didn't really know what to do with. And he ended up being a chalk play that night. And I, I expect him to end up being a chalk play again tonight. I still think he is underpriced for his current salary. It's not the 3600 that he was a few Fridays ago, but it's still underpriced for his current salary. He gives you a super high ceiling with two games this season over 40 fantasy points. So Tay Williams is definitely a guy that I would not mind putting in my lineups. And also, upon further review, DraftKings is still missing those games from his game log. Um, if you want to go look at box scores, trust me, he's been producing consistently all season. Also in the 5K range, BYU's Jackson Robinson has three straight games of four times value. But what's of major concern is that he had 0.3 fancy points against St. Mary's the last time those two teams played. Now, Gonzaga has a three-headed monster at the point guard position of Rossier Bolton, Malachi Smith, and Nolan Hickman. It is one of the hardest situations to figure out in terms of who to play in daily fantasy. Hickman plays the most minutes, but Bolton has the highest usage. But Malachi Smith's actually been the most productive lately and probably has the best pedigree as a productive player as being the transfer from UD Chattanooga. Now, I will give Rossier Bolton a little bit of an edge um, because of what he's done against San Francisco this season. Uh, he did have 36.3 fantasy points against San Francisco in their earlier matchup. So maybe it's just Rossier Bolton that has these guys' number, and he's the guy to go with Monday night. I don't know. It's a tough situation to figure out. And who you play would depend on what you value most, whether you value minutes and play Hickman, whether you value usage and play Bolton, or whether you value kind of talent and upside, you go with Malachi Smith. But, like I said, this is the highest total game of the night between Gonzaga and San Francisco, and so I would expect at least one of these guys to hit value, and if I had to pick one, I would probably say Rossier Bolton, but again, this is the hardest situation to figure out. You never know game in and game out what anybody is going to do. Looking further down the board, Youngstown State's Brandon Rush is another guy who I feel is a little bit mispriced at $5,200. He had 28 fancy points earlier in the season against Northern Kentucky. He's been producing very consistently over four times value. I would have expected to see him about in the 6K range, if I'm being honest. Now, heading down to the 4K range, there are two Milwaukee guys that are worth mentioning. Markeith Browning is returning from injury. He's been a very productive player this season, but it very much concerns me what happened to him last game. He only played 19 minutes. Now, it's worth noting also that that 19 minutes took away from Justin Thomas. Now, before the injury, though, Browning had four games over 30 fantasy points, and I just... I really like the upside there, right? But if he's only going to play 19 minutes, where's the upside? So I don't know whether that was a minutes limit for just one game, whether you know he came off the bench or started. I, I don't know that. I, I can't figure that information out. But I think that if you can get confirmation that he's going to like play his full minutes load, he's well worth a look. If we don't get that confirmation, Kentrell Pullian is a guy that I like a lot. He's a guy that I also feel like is mispriced, but I also feel like maybe Markeith Browning being back is, you know, kind of baked into Pullian's low price. Pullian's usage rate is just barely below Browning, but Pullian played much more minutes in their last game, and he was much more productive in their last game than Browning. And so I kind of think that Browning being back wouldn't even detract a whole lot from Pullian. Like I said, I think Browning being back would detract from other teammate Justin Thomas. So between those Milwaukee guys, Browning's going to give you some upside, especially if he does get to a full minute load. I, I would definitely want to see before the game what the beat writers are saying and if there's anything I could find on Twitter about that situation. Uh, but Pullian, I really do like a lot, and he is a very solid value play here on this Monday slate. 
Now, heading down to the 3K range, Elijah Jamison is about as safe as they come for a play in the 3K range. My only worry with him, though, is that he's been terrible against Cleveland State. Um, and so maybe that might make him a stay away. I don't know, but his production has been the best out of anybody in that 3K range. And I got to be honest, y'all, I think there's enough value in the 4 and 5K range that you don't really need to dip down into the 3K range to build your lineups here on this slate. All right, that does it for the guard position. So let's take a quick breather and then let's break down the big fella. All right, the highest priced big man on the board is Gonzaga's Drew Timmy. And he is a guy that feels like he's been in college for about seven years. But anyway, here he is. And when you look at what he's done this season, he's had two very unique game experiences against San Francisco. All right, so listen to this. In their first matchup, he was 3-for-16 from the field and had 11 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, which is not the stat line that you're expecting out of Drew Timmy. In the second game, Gonzaga was up 20 at the half, so he only played 20 minutes total. But in that game, he was 8-for-11 from the field. In both of those games, he was under 30 fantasy points, which is not the return you want on Drew Timmy's salary. However, here's the breadcrumb that's really interesting. In both of those games, his usage rate was over 29%. So it's not like in either of these games he wasn't getting the ball. There was just reasons why his production got capped. In the first game, it was that he just had a poor shooting night. In the second game, it was the fact that he only played 20 minutes. So if we can get a normal game flow game out of Drew Timmy, I think he can very easily play this price tag in a game that is going to be up and down, is going to feature a lot of points scored, and is going to give him plenty of opportunities to get rebounds against not a great rebounding team in San Francisco. I really like the upside of Drew Timmy tonight, and I think the ownership might stay away because of the two performances against San Francisco. Tristan Anaruna is Cleveland State's leader in usage rate, and he has been great against Milwaukee. I would expect him to be the most popular play of the forwards over 8K, and I have no problem going to him. Um, just everything statistically points to a good Tristan Anaruna game. Looking further down the board, Adrian Nelson of Youngstown State makes for an interesting narrative play. It's a revenge game against Northern Kentucky because he previously played there. Now, in the two games in the regular season, he scored 17 and 16 real points against them. So he's had the ability to kind of, you know, fill it up on his old team. And he hasn't been under 26 fantasy points in a game in this calendar year. So I would not be... I'm angry to have to go to Adrian Nelson. I think if you're playing cash games, I think he's probably the best play out of the three bigs over 8K. Now heading down to the 7K range, Youngstown's Malik Green is also someone I would have an interest in. He actually comes in second in this team in usage rate, um, according to Ken Palm, only behind Dwayne Cohill. Northern Kentucky is also a poor rebounding team, ranking 322nd. Excuse me, 322nd offensive rebound percentage given up, according to Ken Palm. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities for both Adrian Nelson and Malik Green to crash the boards, get, get some offensive rebounds, get some assists, or get some putbacks, um, and definitely some opportunity for those guys to give you some big outcomes. Looking further down the board, St. Mary's' Mitchell Saxon poses a huge mismatch to BYU. And if you look at BYU's rotation, they don't want to play anybody over 6'6" and Saxon stands 6'10", so he's just going to have a height advantage over most of the guys that they want to play. They really don't want to play their bigger guys that come off their bench a whole lot of minutes. Now, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, how does this turn into production? It kind of checks out with what Saxon has done against BYU this season. He averages 29 fantasy points in those two games against BYU this season, so I would not have a problem going to Mitchell Saxon here on this Monday night slate. 
Going to skip the 6K range because, I'll be honest, we got um, our guys from the guard position that get dual eligibility. We got B.J. Freeman and we got Tay Williams that are sitting there in the 6K and the high 5K range. Those would be my two favorite plays at the forward spot. So um, we're going to just drop down to the 5K range and talk about Milwaukee's Ahmad Rand. He's come on strong recently back-to-back five-times value performances. He had 23% usage rate against Cleveland State in that big game that he had, which was his highest usage rate in over a month. So the question becomes then, you know, do you expect regression to the mean? Or maybe was this just a matchup problem for Cleveland State? And was this something that can very easily continue? At the price tag of only 5,200, I would be willing to go back to him for that reason. Heading down to the 4K range, San Francisco has three centers in this range that are all just kind of intriguing in their own way. So Zane Meeks has been pretty much phased out of the rotation. I could not find anything about him being injured, um, but he has not really played a whole lot recently. And he actually played decently against Gonzaga in both of their earlier matchups. So this is kind of weird that he's been kind of phased out. Now, Josh Coonan is another center for San Francisco who has back-to-back games over 35 minutes and over 20 fantasy points. And he's the guy that would match up best height-wise with Drew Timmy. He's the tallest of these three guys in here. So I would not be shocked if you saw him get a lot of minutes. And then the last guy is Ndueto Newberry, who really hadn't done a whole lot all season. He kind of joined the team late. I believe he was coming off of an injury. Uh, And he played 40 minutes and had 21 fantasy points in San Francisco's last game against Santa Clara. So he would be intriguing to me for that reason um, because clearly the coach had enough trust in him to play him 40 minutes. So um, he must like him a little bit. So between three of those guys, I'd probably be most likely to play um, Coonan and then second most likely to play Newbury. I think Coonan gives you a little more of a floor um, than Newbury does. Uh, But I would probably avoid Zane Meeks unless you can find something more about his situation. Now, interestingly enough, San Francisco also has a full-blown seven-footer down in the 3K range. He doesn't usually play a lot of minutes, but he sees incredible usage when he does. His name is Saba Jijiberia. I believe I pronounced that correctly. And he actually played 18 minutes against Gonzaga the last time these two teams played. And he had 15.5 fantasy points in that game. Granted, that is his highest minutes total in conference play. So maybe he was kind of their answer to combat Drew Timmy. Um, But like I said, he hasn't played a whole lot of minutes. And so I don't really know what to expect from him. I don't really know if he can repeat that performance. But maybe if you're somebody who makes a lot of lineups and plays a lot of GPPs, maybe he's worth a look, right? I mean, you could do much worse than that. Now, BYU has another guy in the 3K range that intrigues me because if BYU wants to combat St. Mary's size, they're going to have to play Noah Waterman more minutes. And he is here in the 3K range. He played 26 minutes and had 16.8 fantasy points against St. Mary's in their last matchup. That matchup was not exactly a great game scoring-wise for BYU. So I could definitely see this being a pretty successful game for Waterman. All right, y'all. That does it for the forward position. And that does it for this Monday night slate. So hopefully we got plenty of guys here that um, you can put into your lineups. Hopefully you got, you know, a lot of guys that are going to help you win some money here on this Monday night slate and kick off conference championship week in the right way. All right. Like I said, 
earlier. I will be doing content here for college basketball all week long, so make sure you hit that subscribe button to be notified when new episodes drop. If you want to know how I took all this information here from this slate and put it into my DraftKings lineup, head on over to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Mike's Money Picks. All my official DFS picks go on there. And lastly, Make sure you hit that follow button on Twitter, guys, um, because later on during the week, I'm not going to be able to do um, the Saturday or the Sunday shows. So please hit that follow button so you can get my full DFS thoughts on the Saturday and the Sunday slates on Twitter. Also, if you ever have any lineup or start sit questions, feel free to reach out. I'm more than happy to answer them. Last thing, next week we will also be doing a super special bracket preview show. So on Monday, um, after Selection Sunday, if you're somebody who likes to fill out a bracket every year, and if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are, um, we're going to really deep dive the bracket and talk about a lot of different teams, a lot of different situations. We're not going to go pick by pick, game by game, um, but we are going to talk a lot of different things bracket related. Um, And so that's going to be something to definitely listen to before you fill out your NCAA tournament brackets. All right, so that does it for today's show. If you are here still, best of luck to you in all your DFS endeavors. Hopefully, I'll help you win some money here on this Monday night. Thank you guys for listening, and I will see you next time.